0: Today then, we move on to the chapter Bab Ma Ja'a li Allah the chapter regarding that which has been mentioned, regarding slaughtering, sacrificing for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll begin with the reading then.
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قال شيخ الاسلام محمد بن عبد الوهاب رحمه الله تعالى باب ما جاء في الذبح لغير الله وقول الله تعالى قل ان صلاتي ونسكي ومحياي ومماتي لله رب العالمين لا شريك له الايه وقوله فصل لربك وانحر عن علي رضي الله عنه قال حدثني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم باربع كلمات لعن الله من ذبح لغير الله لعن الله من لعن والديه لعن الله من آوى محدثا لعن الله من غير منار من الأرض آواه مسلم وعن طارق بن شهاب أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال دخل الجنة رجل في ذباب ودخل النار رجل في ذباب قالوا وكيف ذلك يا رسول الله قال مر رجلان على قوم لهم صنم لا يجوزه أحد حتى يقرب له شيئا فقالوا لأحدهما قالوا قرب قال ليس عندي شيء أقرب قالوا له قرب ولو ذبابة فقرب ذبابة فخلو سبيله فدخل النار وقالوا للآخر قرب قال ما كنت لأ ما كنت لأحد دون الله عز وجل فضرب عنقه فدخل so this chapter
0: then. It is a continuation of what we have been discussing previously. As Sheikh al-Fawzan says here, That this chapter, just like the chapters that came before it, is clarifying and discussing types of shirk which some of the people have practiced in different times from the times of pre-Islamic ignorance and up until this day some of these practices are still going on So this chapter is going to touch upon another one of these practices that some of the people of ignorance perform and that is the issue of sacrificing and slaughtering. With regards to sacrificing and slaughtering you could say as a general background that sacrificing or slaughtering It is, in one respect, an act that is customary. In one angle and one perspective, slaughtering something is a traditional and customary act that a person may do to host his guests, for example. You slaughter something, you slaughter a sheep and cook that in order to serve your guests, a customary act, a traditional act. But then, there are forms of this slaughtering that obviously fall into the realms of direct connection to worship. Even the customary one, obviously, it is deemed as an act of worship, a person slaughters that, in the name of Allah accurately and properly in accordance to the Sunnah to serve his guests. But then in specific there are certain actions associated to this slaughtering where this slaughtering is considered specifically as an act of worship. When you consider slaughtering, sacrificing, specifically within the realms of it being an act of worship, then you could say that there are different types that the people engage in. There is the legislated type of slaughtering and sacrificing that a person does in the name of Allah properly in accordance to the Sunnah. That's one. Then there is the Bid'i type of sacrificing that some people may engage in. For example, a person sacrifices for the sake of Allah properly, but specifies, for example, that he's going to go and do this sacrifice at the grave of such and such a wali. For the sake of Allah. He's not committing shirk, i.e. for the dead person or anything, but he just believes there's some superiority to doing it next to the grave of the wali. Doing it for the sake of Allah, in the name of Allah, but at the location of the grave of this wali, then that would be a bid'ah, no doubt. And then there would be the shirki type of sacrificing, and that is outright when the individual is doing it for the sake of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So this chapter is going to touch upon this topic the topic of sacrificing and slaughtering and that this is an act of worship which must therefore be done for the sake of Allah and that those who do this act for other than the sake of Allah, then it is deemed as a form of shirk. So the first evidence that is mentioned in this chapter, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ Say, that my prayer and my sacrificing and my living and my dying are for Allah the Lord of all of that which exists and he has no partners to him. This ayah along with the other ayat that go with it, or the rest of the ayah that goes with it, وَبِذَٰلِكَ أُمِرْتُ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ That is what I have been commanded with, meaning to make my prayer, my worship, my sacrifice, my living, my dying for the sake of Allah. That is what I have been commanded with, and I am the first of the Muslims قُلْ أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَبْغِيْ رَبّا وَهُوَ رَبُّ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Say, should I seek a God besides Allah? Should I seek besides Allah as a Lord and He is the Lord of everything? وَلَا تَكْسِبُ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ إِلَّا عَلَيْهَا وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَىٰ And no soul does anything or performs any action except for its own accountability. What you do, you are accountable upon yourself for it. And nobody will take the accountability of another upon himself. وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَىٰ الشيخ الفوزان he says ختم الله هذه السورة العظيمة بهذه الآيات لأن السوره تدور كلها على التوحيد وبيان الشرك وبيان ما يفعله المشركون مع الأصنام وما حرموه من المزارع والأنعام لأصنامهم وختمها سبحانه وتعالى بالبراءة من كل ما يفعله المشركون وهذا الغالب على الصور المكية فالصور المكية غالبها بل تكاد تكون كلها في التوحيد والنهي عن الشرك لأن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مكث في مكة ثلاثة وثلاث عشرة سنة يدعو الى التوحيد وينها عن الشرك وينزل عليه القران في ذلك ومن جمله ما نزل عليه في مكه هذه الصوره al سوره sheik الشيخ الفوزان talks about these ayat the first aya which has been mentioned as an evidence and the other ayat of that chapter of the Qur'an, Surah Al-An'am. And he mentions that the majority of this chapter, and in fact, the majority, if not almost all, of the chapters that were revealed in Mecca, their subject matter is Tawheed. As you know, the Qur'an was revealed over 23 years. So some of that revelation occurred when the prophet sallallahu was still in Mecca and some of it was revealed after he had made the hijra to Medina so the portions of the Quran that were revealed in the early times when the prophet sallallahu was still in Mecca those portions of the Qur'an, those chapters, those surahs, as Sheikh Al Fawzan mentions here, almost all of their content is about Tawheed the obligation to be upon Tawheed and the forbiddance from shirk. Those 13 years when the Prophet وسلم, was in Mecca And the Qur'an was being revealed to him. Those early chapters of the Qur'an, the Meccan chapters of the Qur'an, they are almost exclusively on the topic of Tawheed. Then, the chapters of the Qur'an that were revealed after the Hijrah, after the Prophet ﷺ went to Medina, that's where you find the ayat, about the other topics about the other rulings about Hajj and fasting and other affairs those types of ayat those types of surahs they were revealed afterwards in Medina so if you were to examine for example Tafsir ibn Kathir or any one of the books of Tafsir where they tell you at the beginning of each Tafsir part, every chapter, they tell you whether this particular surah was revealed in Mecca or whether this surah was revealed in Medina, whether this surah is Makki or if it is Madani. If you examine all of the ones that are Makki, the ones that were revealed in Mecca, and you read them, you'll see that the majority if not almost all of those chapters are focused purely on Tawheed. Then if you go to the ones that are revealed in Medina, the Madani chapters, that's where you will see all of the other rulings and the Fiqh and the Ahkam regarding the various affairs of women and and fasting and Hajj and all of the various matters of Fiqh as we call it now. They are revealed in the madani sections. And that's because in the early years of the da'wah, the years of Makkah, the focus was of course to purify the hearts of the people from the shirk that they had been upon before into the purity of tawheed. So the early years, the chapters were all about that affair of tawheed and shirk about the obligation of singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with your worship and abandoning all others besides Allah. As the scholars, they say, and we've mentioned before many a time, at qabla at-takhliya, that you must cleanse something out first before you can adorn it and beautify it. The example the scholars give is if you want a drink of water and you go to the kitchen but the cup is dirty, what's the first thing you're going to do? Wash the cup, then you're going to put your water in it and drink it. So the cleansing of the cup occurs first, then the clean water is put into it afterwards. That's what they mean in terms of the da'wah, at قَبْلَ That the cleansing of their hearts occurred first by removing all of that shirk that they used to be upon and the ideas they used to be upon and then adorning those hearts with tawheed. So all of those chapters that you see were revealed in Mecca. You will notice that their topic revolves around tawheed. And that is not to say that the Madani chapters, their topic does not revolve around Tawheed. Certainly not. All of the chapters of the Qur'an revolve around Tawheed. In fact, Ibn al-Qayyim mentioned, if you really ponder over the Qur'an, then every single ayah of the Qur'an, you will find within it the topic of Tawheed. If you ponder over the Qur'an, every single ayah of the Qur'an, then you will notice and you will realize it is directly connected to the tawheed of Allah. Even the ayat that talk about uh, marital issues and they talk about divorce and they talk about those matters, even those ayat at the ends of them they finish with names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا All of the different names of Allah at the end of the ayat, even when the topic of them is about whatever issues that are being discussed, then the names and attributes of Allah are mentioned within everywhere. So every ayah of the Qur'an in reality is about the tawheed of Allah. So as Shaykh Al-Fawzan just highlights this to begin with regarding this first ayah, then to discuss the details of the ayah itself at the beginning it says qul in salati say this the scholars of tafsir mention is an evidence that the Quran was not written by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Some of the scholars of tafsir have mentioned as a refutation and rebuke against those individuals who claim, the kuffar and their likes, who claim that this Qur'an was just written by Muhammad himself. Rather, the scholars of tafsir, the mufassirun have said, this is a delil that Muhammad did not write the Qur'an. Because in the ayat it says Qul. and who is that addressing? Say and then the ayah mentions the affairs, who is it addressing when it says Say? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi sallam, say, O Muhammad, it is addressing the messenger. And so they said, if Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam wrote the Quran himself, he would not be. Addressing himself and telling himself, say, you do not do that to yourself. So, in the beginning of this ayah, قُلْ وَهَذَا أَمْرٌ مِنَ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى لِنَبِيِّهِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ أَنْ يُعْلِنَ لِلنَّاسِ لَيْسَ لِنَّاسِ وَقْتِهِ فَقَطْ بَلْ لِنَاسٍ جَمِيعًا إِلَىٰ أَنْ تَقُومَ السَّاعَةِ وَلَيْسَ لِنَاسِ بَلَدِهِ بَلْ لِنَاسِ العالم. That Allah says, Say, O Muhammad, and that is a command from Allah to the Messenger to announce and say this to all of the people, not only to the people of his time, but to all of the people to announce this and say this, as a ruling and as an affair applicable to all of the people till the establishment of the hour and not only for the people of his land but to the people of the world and that's why the scholars they mention in Usul al tafsir when you have an ayah that is revealed for a particular purpose that does not mean that the ayah is therefore restricted to only that purpose. The ayah may have been revealed with a certain backstory to it and a certain reason for that revelation. But that doesn't mean that the ayah is therefore restricted to only that and to only those people. It's like even Surah Al-Ikhlas. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أحد. Allahu samad. Everybody knows. Why was that revealed? They say in the Asbab Nuzul that the Mushrikun, they were challenging the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And they were saying to him, Your Lord, Allah, that you speak of, who is he? Describe him to us. Who is this Lord of yours? Who is Allah? Describe him to us. They were challenging the Messenger. Challenging him, telling him, Siflana Rabbak, describe to us who your Lord is. And so then Allah revealed Al Ikhlas. That was the description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there was a specific reason why that was revealed. But that does not mean that the Ayah is therefore restricted to that one incident. The ayah is general and applicable to all scenarios. And so that's what they say. Even if an ayah is mentioned in a specific situation or circumstance, it does not restrict it to only that circumstance. So here the shaykh says when Allah tells the messenger, say he is obviously going to say it to who? To the people there. But does that mean that this ayah was restricted to only the Quraysh and the Arabs at that time there? Not at all. What the Messenger is told to say here is applicable openly to all of mankind till the Day of Judgment. Even though at that time, he would have said this to a certain specific group of people, the Quraysh, at that particular time. So it is not restricted, it is open to all and everyone till the establishment of the hour. So what is the messenger told to say? "Qul inna Say that indeed my salah and as-salah, specifically, Islamically speaking, is a particular act of worship that has within it particular statements and actions that starts with the takbiratul ihram and ends with the taslim. Starts with Allahu Akbar, ends with assalamu alaikum. And then within that, you do certain actions and certain statements, specific actions and statements which cannot be substituted for other things. It's like a Shaykh Al-Thaymeen said, nobody can come along and say, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to today start my prayer with SubhanAllah. Has he started his prayer? Is he praying? No. Somebody comes and says, I'm gonna start my prayer today with Alhamdulillah. Cannot. That is not prayer. He must begin with the specific statement. Allahu Akbar. And then when he's standing, he cannot just recite any part of the Qur'an. He must recite Al-Fatiha. So the prayer is an act of worship that has specific statements and specific actions. The Ruku'ah, the Sujood, the various parts of the prayer. That is the act of worship of as-salah And one of the meanings of the word as-salah One of them is from the word sulah Which means a connection So the scholars say the salah Is a connection between the servant and his lord It is a connection between the servant and his lord and we know that when a servant recites the Fatiha, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to that servant reciting the Fatiha. So firstly, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي Say that my prayer wa nusuki Nusuk in the general sense of the word, means ibadah. Nusuk, in the general sense of the word, means any ibadah, any worship. Nusuk, it can be used to mean al ibadat generally, any form of worship, any type of worship. But in this ayah, it is being used for a specific meaning. And a specific worship. And that is the worship of sacrificing, the worship of the slaughtering of a dhabh So, وَنُسُكِ النُسُكُ الْمُرَادُ بِهِ مَا يُذْبَحُ مِنْ بَهِيمَةِ الْأَنْعَامِ عَلَى وَجْهِ التَّقَرُّبِ وَالْعِبَادَةِ What is intended here in this ayah, is something that is slaughtered from the animals that are slaughtered upon seeking closeness to Allah as an act of worship. Slaughtering of an animal upon seeking closeness to Allah as an act of worship. And there are many examples of that. When someone has a newborn, you do what is known as the... The Aqiqah. The slaughtering for the newborn, you do the slaughtering on the day of Eid, the Udhiyah. There are various forms of the sacrificing and slaughtering that are mentioned within the Sunnah that a person can do. So ala موجودا في الجاهلية. Sacrificing something upon the intention of seeking closeness that was an act which existed in jahiliyyah they used to sacrifice and slaughter with the intention that by doing this they are going to seek closeness but how were they doing it they would sacrifice and slaughter seeking closeness via this act to their idols and their statues and to the jinn and to the stars and to others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ أَنَّ دِينَهُ مُخَالِفٌ لِدِينِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ فَالْمُشْرِكُونَ يذبحون لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ وَالنَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَهُ يذبحون لِلَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ So here then, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was given this revelation and told to announce this in order to rebuke and rebut the actions of shirk that they used to be upon in regards to sacrificing and slaughtering. They, the mushrikun, used to sacrifice their animals, etc., seeking closeness to their idols and their statues and to the jinn and to the stars and to the dead in the graves and whatever it may be. So the messenger was told,